Thank you for listening to City Awakening Podcast. City Awakening is a gospel-centered church located in East Orlando that plants new churches, striving to be a multicultural, multi-generational church. For more information about City Awakening, follow us on social media or visit www.cityawakening.org. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Lewis. I'm lead pastor here at City Awakening. Welcome to those of you who are here on site and to those of you watching online. We welcome you online as well. At this time, we're going to go ahead and dismiss our children and children's church. And if you didn't get a chance to check your child in, you can see our children's ministry leaders in the back, and they would be more than happy to assist you with that. Now, today we are going to actually take a break from the teaching series that we've been doing called The Story. Are we doing a teaching series where we're going through the biblical narrative from the very beginning in Genesis 1 to the last amen in Revelation? And so what we're doing is, is we're going to take a four-week break, though, to do a teaching series that we're calling Outward. All right, it's called Outward, and it's all about developing a culture of generosity. All right, I think we all would agree that, that we could use a bit more generosity in our lives. All right, that our lives would be better off if we had more generosity in them. Generosity in our marriages, more generosity in our families, more generosity in our schools, our, some of y'all, your workplaces, right? More generosity in your work environment, or generosity in our neighborhoods and our cities. I mean, think about it, right? What, what if you had more generosity in your marriage? What if your marriage experienced more generosity? What if your family could experience more generosity in it? What if your school or your workplace could experience more generosity in it? What if our city in general or our country, politics is about to happen, right? I mean, it's some guns blade. How many of y'all are getting text messages now? Getting text messages left and right. Okay, I'm, I've, I've been told, I'm, I'm like, I'm getting text messages that aren't even my own name. Right? It's about to get nasty, isn't it? It's already getting nasty. Imagine if our country could experience more generosity in it. See, I think both skeptics and believers would would agree with this. I think we would all agree that our lives, our relationships, our city and country would be far better off if if, if it experienced more generosity instead of greed. And so that's what this series is about this series outward. It's about helping to develop a culture of generosity. You know, we we can't maybe transform the whole country as a small church like us, but we can start with us. We can start in our homes. We can start in our relationships, our schools, our workplaces, and our city. Now, I want to say this about, about churches talking about generosity, because I think sometimes churches make the mistake when we talk about generosity. A lot of times we tend to focus mostly on what? Being generous with wealth. Right? A lot of times churches can make a mistake. Not all churches do that, but sometimes churches can make the mistake if we just focus on generosity when it comes to the use of our wealth. But a comprehensive biblical view of generosity entails so much more than wealth. It's actually about living a lifestyle of generosity that goes beyond our wealth. You know, for example, I mean, you could be maybe generous with your wealth. You can write big checks, right? But also not have a generous heart towards the people you're writing those checks to, too. You know where this happens a lot? It happens a lot of times when we're going to Publix or something like that, right? You go to a store, what happens? You know, you got maybe somebody, you know, a little league trying to raise money for their team or football or cheer team trying to raise money for their team, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts. We're about to have Salvation Army during the Christmas time, right? And so we may throw a few bucks here and there, be it, and it appears as though we're being generous with it, but you know we're not being generous with our time. How many of us actually stop? How many of us take, you know, are generous with our time to get to know the person by name, to get to talk with them a little bit and say, you know, what you're doing matters, what you're doing is important. 
See, our time is more valuable to most of us than our wealth is. And so we would much rather just throw a couple of bucks at them and then just quickly hurry past them and move on than we would, you know, sacrificing some of our time. We're generous with our wealth, but not so much maybe generous with our time. We can also be generous with our wealth in in more of a um, selfish kind of way with some selfish ambitions. You know, we can give with strings attached, or we can give generously to something hoping that, you know, maybe we'll get some praise for our generosity. You know, if I give, then maybe people will see me as a generous person, and, you know, and I can maybe subconsciously, you know, I'm just looking for that, that praise and that. See, we can be generous with our wealth, but for selfish reasons, and still not have a generous heart towards the people we're giving to. Okay, my point is, is that generosity goes far beyond the use of our wealth. And in this series, we're going to talk about several different ways that we can be generous. All right? And today, Jesus is going to teach us about being generous when it comes to our relationships. He's going to teach us two things in particular. He's going to teach us to be generous when it comes to hospitality and when it comes to forgiveness in our relationships. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn them over to Luke chapter 14. If you're new to your Bible, just open your Bible to the middle, keep turning to the right, and you'll find the Gospel of Luke there. We'll be in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 24 today. For those of you taking notes, the title of today's message is Generosity and Relationships. And the big idea of the message is that generosity includes, hospi- includes hospitality and forgiveness in your relationships. All right, generosity includes hospitality and forgiveness in your relationships. Now, here's a little bit of context leading into um, chapter 14. Jesus has been invited to a dinner party. All right, he's been invited to a dinner party of a Pharisee, which is you know, a Jewish religious leader. Now, there's a bunch of other Jewish religious leaders that are at this dinner party, and verse 1 tells us that they were watching Jesus closely. They're watching him closely because they're hoping that he makes a mistake or that he messes up in some way, some capacity. So Jesus is about to teach them a lesson in humility. Chapter 14 is all about a lesson on humility and even hospitality and relationships. He's about to teach the guests first, and then he's going to teach the host of the party or hosts in general a lesson in humility and hospitality. All right, so let's check it out. Here we go. Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 24 states this. He told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they would choose the best places for themselves. So he says this, when you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, don't sit in the place of honor because a more distinguished person than you may have been invited by your host. The one who invited both of you may come and say to you, give your place to this man and then in humiliation you will proceed to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when the one who invited you comes, he will say to you, friend, move up higher. You will then be honored in the presence of, other, of the other guests for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is speaking in particular to the guests at this dinner party at this point, at this banquet. And he's teaching them a lesson on humility. He's speaking to them about something that culturally they would have understood. A little bit different than us, right? So culturally, whenever they went to a banquet or a dinner party like this, they knew that they were going to sit based upon their relational connection with the host. So in other words, the, more, um, the closer you were to the host, maybe the more important you were to the relationship you had with the host, or maybe if you had such a high status in the community, then you would sit closer to the host in that situation compared to those who were not as close with the host or didn't have as high of a, of a status. 
Now, one of the most humiliating things that could happen to a person in a Jewish setting like this, when they're, when they're you know, eating or at a banquet like this, would be if they thought higher of themselves than what they actually were. And so they went and they, they sat a little bit closer to the host than what they were supposed to. And then the host comes up to them and says, hey, you know, um, hey do you mind giving up your seat for, for this person here? Do you mind sitting just a little bit further to the back? That would have been completely humili- public, just publicly humiliating and devastating to a Jewish person um, at a dinner banquet like this. And so Jesus is teaching the guests there a lesson on humility. He's teaching them that it is better to be humble than to be humiliated. It is better for you to be humble and to take a lower seat than to think higher of yourself than you actually are and then to be humiliated. See, he's teaching them to be humble instead of you know, thinking much higher of themselves than what they should. All right? He's teaching them a lesson on humility. Verse 12, he's about to now teach the host, or hosts in general. Jesus also said to the one who invited him, see, there's the host, right? When you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers, or your sisters, your relatives, your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you would be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." So Jesus is now speaking directly to the host, but he's also implying hosts in general. So it's a lesson even to us today because sometimes we host, right? But he's teaching them a lesson, the host a lesson on generous hospitality. He's actually challenging their cultural understanding of generous hospitality. Because see, the cultural understanding for for them back then would have been, okay, we're going to be hospitable to people um, in in order to have some sort of like a transactional relationship, you know, more for kind of our our own gain and our our own ambitions. See, people would often do a, a banquet like this or have a dinner like this in order to maybe improve their status or um, to complete certain business transactions or conversations that they were having. So it was more for really their, their own gain, which is why if you notice what Jesus focused on, he says, listen, if you're going to be generous, host to somebody, do it for somebody who can't repay you back, right? Who you're not going to gain something in return. Jesus is not saying that we can't ever show generous hospitality to our friends, our family members, and our neighbors. It's not the point that he's making. He's saying we have to be careful of wanting to show generous hospitality towards people for something in return, to get something back from that person. He said, because that's not really being a generous person whatsoever. In fact, actually, you're, you're being selfish if you're being generous towards somebody, hoping to get something in return. Okay, so this means that you don't serve your spouse hoping to get something in return. Because that would be selfish, not generous. Children, you don't serve your parents hoping to get something in return. Because that would be selfish, not generous. It's always interesting to me how quickly kids will, will, will you know, listen and be ready to respond and you know, do their chores, whatever it is, the moment you promise them something. No, you're serving for selfish reasons to get something in return. It would be selfish for us to serve our boss or our friends or our neighbors with the hope of getting something 
in return. That's selfish. Not you have a selfish reason for that hospitality that you're trying to show them or the generosity you're trying to show them. And Jesus is saying, no, you're not really serving the person out of a genuine love for them. You're serving them because you have an agenda to get something in return for them. He is pushing against this cultural transactional relationship, this mentality that, you know, we're going to do this kind of hospitality. Let's have you over for dinner so we can get something. Jesus is challenging that culturally here in the text. He's saying that's not really generosity at all. Now, the type of generosity that Jesus is, is talking about here goes much further, much deeper than simply inviting somebody over for dinner. Okay, it's much more radical than that. You know, Tim Keller, um, he talks about how this is like inviting somebody into your home, into your personal living space. Right, Tim Keller, he states this. He says, your home isn't just an enclosure. It's a shelter from a stormy blast. It's the place where out there, in other words, out into the world, you're drained, but inside you get rejuvenated. Your home is a place of warmth, food, nourishment, and rest. Hospitality is welcoming people into that living space, welcoming them into the heart of your life. It's bringing them in and refreshing them with the same things that refresh you. Keller's point is that the hospitality, and he's talk, and Keller's actually talking about what Jesus is talking about here in Luke chapter 14. He's saying this is the type of hospitality that Jesus is talking about. He's saying that the, this hospitality that Jesus is talking about is us really showing generous hospitality towards people in such a way that they leave us. They, they walk away from us feeling refreshed, more refreshed than they did before they were entering into our living space in your proverbial home or your living space just around you, outside of your home. He's saying that's the way we should be loving and caring and showing generous hospitality towards people. They should walk away from us as Christians, for those of us who are Christians, they should walk away from us feeling way more refreshed and rejuvenated having entered into our living space than before it. Jesus did this kind of thing all the time. If you notice in verse, when, when Jesus said, um, he says that we should be doing this not just for our friends or family, right, but for people outside of that as well. And so Jesus did that all the time. He wasn't just caring for his own kind of people. He was caring for people who, who also were outside of his inner circle. And he was often ridiculed for caring and interacting and serving and showing love to the outcasts in society. Verse 1 said, right, that they were watching him carefully hoping that he would trip up. So you know what they would do? They often ridiculed Jesus for eating with people who were considered the outcasts in society. They literally would say things like, you know, why is he eating with you know, tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners? They were completely confused by it because it went against their cultural understanding of showing love, care, and hospitality to people. They couldn't understand why Jesus would love people that he couldn't get something in return from. That had absolutely no benefit or value to him. But this was Jesus. Right? This is what Jesus did. He served and loved people without these people having anything, absolutely zero to offer Christ in return. Jesus did this because he genuinely loved people. He even served us to the point of the cross because he genuinely, we have nothing to offer Jesus but our sin. Okay, but Jesus loves us so much that he's willing to genuinely serve us, not to get something in return from us, but out of a genuine love for us. And he's saying we should be doing the same. We should be serving people 
out of a genuine love for them, not in hopes of getting something in return from them. That's true generosity. Verse 15, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to, he said to him, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus told the guy, a man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who were invited, come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a field, and I I have to go and see it. I have to attend to it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me too. And another said, I just got married, and therefore I'm unable to come. Verse 21, so the servant came back and reported these things to his master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor, maimed, blind, and lame. Master, the servant said, what you ordered has been done and there's still room. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, not one of those people who were invited will enjoy my banquet. Now the banquet that Jesus is talking about here is a greater banquet in heaven. And we know that because even the guy's comment, you know, the guy's comment is talking about, you know, a greater banquet, you know, he's going to enjoy in the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is attaching this parable to that, this story to that. Jesus is talking about a greater banquet that's to be enjoyed in heaven. Jesus is the greater host who invites us to enjoy a greater banquet in his eternal home in heaven. Some people are going to reject that invitation. He says not everybody's going to enter into that banquet. They're going to reject his invitation. But Jesus is offering generous hospitality here, even to the point of laying his life down, allowing us an invitation to enter into his eternal family where we get to enjoy his eternal home, his eternal banquet in heaven. You know, sometimes whenever, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe this doesn't happen to you, it happens to me, right? Sometimes I'm at, you know, at a friend's house, you know, and one thing about being a pastor, you start to meet a bunch of different people. Um, you know, you meet rich people, you meet poor people, you know, you meet everybody in between. And so I've been to some pretty wealthy houses before. It happens to me even when I go on a vacation. Sometimes if I'm on a nice vacation or something, you know, I sort of think, man, this house is nice. It's a beautiful, you have a beautiful home, right? And I start to be like, man, you know, I like that theater room. Man, I'd love to have a theater room one day. You know, man, I I like that infinity pool. It's a nice looking infinity pool. I like that waterfall. Y'all know that, right? I see that waterfall. I'll be the one sitting in the waterfall, right? I I like the waterfall. I like this beautiful view too, you know? And I start to think about it. I'm not, you know, I'm not upset about them and that kind of, but I'm just like, man, you have a beautiful home and I hope to have a home like this. I love this, right? I love the view and everything. I like to have that one day too. Do you do that? Sometimes, am I alone? You sometimes see the feed coming up on your social media and you start to see these nice different vacation spots. I mean, I'd like to have a spot like that sometime. You know what the rea- reality is, though? Nobody has a perfect home. Nobody, in the, nobody here, nobody that we admire their home has. Every home has blemishes physically or they have blemishes emotionally, you know, because of the baggage that we bring into those homes. Jesus is inviting us into his perfect home. It is a perfect home where we get to enter into his living space. He's welcoming us into his presence. He's he's inviting us into his eternal home where we can receive eternal healing, eternal restoration, 
eternal rest for our busted up and weary souls. He says not everybody's going to accept that invitation, but he does offer us that invitation through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. Jesus wants us to be there. He wants you to be there. He wants me to be there. He gives us the opportunity to accept that invitation or to reject it. But only his home is the home that can satisfy our thirsty souls. And he says, you know, hey, come to this banquet. I welcome you into this banquet. You know the first miracle Jesus ever did? Anybody know what it was? It's in John chapter 2. Turns water into wine. Out of all the miracles, if you and I had the opportunity to turn water into wine, I mean, of all the miracles we could have done, why would we choose to turn water into wine at a wedding banquet? That's where he was when he did that. I mean, think about that. I mean, he could have just, you know, you know, I, mean, I don't know, man. I mean, maybe I'll snap my fingers and, like, you know, make the clouds move in a certain way and be like, hey, guys, check this out. This is cool, right? You know, or, like, make a lightning zap somewhere or something. I don't know, right? He chooses to turn water into wine in John chapter 2 as his first miracle. He was at a wedding. You know why he does that? Because he was coming to show us that he came to turn our tears into dancing again. See, back then, if, if the wedding party ran out of wine or they ran out of food, it was shame. It was considered a shameful thing that they didn't have enough to provide for the guests. And it was also seen as a sign that you weren't going to be able to provide. The groom couldn't provide for his bride. And so it was an insult to the family. It was a big deal. This was a massive issue. People were upset. People were getting worried and nervous. And Jesus came to restore joy to the wedding again. He did that as his first miracle to show us that he came to turn our tears into dancing again. City Awakening, he wants us to not add to people's tears. He wants us as his followers to help to relieve people's tears, to help turn their tears into dancing again and to point them to the greater banquet that is yet in store for them in eternity with Jesus. Okay? Generous hospitality he wants us to show people so that they walk away from our living space better than when they entered it, before they entered it. Okay? Now, in chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, you can actually start turning there if you like, but in Luke chapter 17, Jesus tells us another way that we can be generous in our relationships. He tells us, yes, be generous when it comes to our hospitality, but he also tells us to be generous when it comes to forgiveness in our relationships. See, when you start to become a hospitable person, you're going to start to build some relationships with people. And what can threaten those relationships? Unforgiveness. Okay? There's going to be conflict, there's going to be issues, there's going to be disagreements, and one of the things that can threaten those relationships is unforgiveness. So Jesus teaches us a lesson on forgiveness in our relationships, to be generous with forgiveness in our relationships. So here's what he says in Luke chapter 17, verses 3 to 6. Jesus said, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, the word rebuke there doesn't mean to reject them. It doesn't mean to chastise them. It doesn't mean to beat them down. It doesn't mean to point out every single thing that they've done in their life. Okay, it doesn't mean that. It means more restoration. It means to help them to become aware of this sin that is hurting you and the relationship or even them and their other relationships that they have for the hope of, of restoring them and helping them to overcome their sins. So this is not about rejection. It is about restoration. It's also important to realize that when Jesus is talking about forgiveness here, he is not talking about, you know, forgiveness and letting somebody continually walk over you. 
That's important, right? Because sometimes we think that if we, you know, and especially for what Jesus is about to say in this text, okay? So sometimes we think that we just need to forgive somebody and let them continue to walk all over us. No, because if that were the case, then Jesus wouldn't be telling us to rebuke them, right? What would be the point of rebuking? What would be the point of having a conversation with somebody if we're just okay with them? You know, Jesus just wants us to be okay with them walking all over us. No, forgiveness doesn't mean that, all right? So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, yes, you know, we need to have conversations with people when, when there is a sin wedge in that relationship. We need to discuss that. We need to deal with that, but we need to do it from a heart of restoration, a desire for restoration. But we also need to be forgiving people. We need to have a heart of forgiveness, but not a heart of forgiveness that condones sin, that is okay with sin and repetitious sin continually happening, all right? Just for clarity on that. Again, verse 3. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day and comes back to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. That's a tough saying. How hard is that? It's extremely difficult, right? Now, I think it's even actually much more difficult than what we realize. Because, see, a lot of times we get caught up on the seven times, that number seven, seven times in a single day, it says. So we get caught up on that number seven. And we take that as a literal seven times, same thing over and over again in a single day. But, see, that number seven in the Jewish culture had symbolic meaning to it. And I think this is actually much harder than actually if somebody were to do the same repetitious sin on you seven times in a single day, okay? In the Jewish culture... That number seven has symbolic meaning to it. It often meant perfection or it meant um, comp- something that was completed, completion. All right, so if a Jewish person were to invite you into their home and they were to say, you know, hey, you know, why don't you come on over for dinner, dinner tonight? You know, I'm going to have a, a, a seven fish meal, you know, a seven course meal. And what they're basically saying is similar to what we would say, you know, we're going to give you a five course meal. What are we saying? Yeah, we're going to have a five course. We're saying we're going to give you a complete meal, a full meal to eat. That's what we're saying. Now, the person's not literally saying, I, got seven, I have seven fish for you to eat. No, what they're saying is, is I have a complete meal. You come into my house and I'm going to give you a complete meal. I'm going to give you a full meal to eat. And so what Jesus is saying contextually here isn't that if a person sins against you literally seven times in a single day. No, what he's saying is if a person sins against you in a complete and a full way, the most complete and the full way possible, they sin against you. That's what he's saying. He's saying, then forgive that person. In other words, he's saying that if somebody sins against us in a way that is just complete, one of the worst ways that we could possibly think somebody can sin against us. See, that's, what he, that's why I said this is, this is much harder than what, what we realize, right? Because if somebody were to sin against us seven times in a single day, what, we, what would he say? Again, there's no point in the rebuke then, right? What we would basically say is, no, listen, wait a minute. This has happened seven times in a single day. You're not really repenting. You're not really sorry for what you've done. You're not really trying to change. This isn't genuine repentance. And so I'm not going to allow you to keep walking all over me because I can't keep condoning your sin. See, that's, there's the rebuke. There, now we've got we to gotta talk about that, the conversation of that, right? So what, Jesus, so what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, if somebody sins against us in the most complete and full way possible, we need to forgive that person. Simply put, he's saying that we really need to, we need to forgive everything. How many of you wrestle with that? Yeah. 
Listen, I'm wrestling with that. I wrestle with that tremendously because some wounds that you have experienced, maybe I've experienced, some of them cut deep. And it's hard to get to that place, right? Which is why I'm very thankful. I love how honest and trustworthy and how real the Bible is and how much the Bible relates with us and our emotions and these things. Because listen to what the disciples say next. Verse 5. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. What do you think the apostles are thinking in this moment when Jesus is teaching this? You think they're thinking this is easy? Absolutely not. Perhaps some of them have some personal pain and personal hurts. And so what they're saying to Jesus is they're saying, Jesus, we can't do this. See, their feeling is what we're feeling. We're feeling the weight of this teaching. And they're saying, Jesus, there's no way we can do this. We can't live this out. You have, you have to increase our faith. We need more faith. We need you to strengthen our faith for us to actually be able to live this teaching out. But here's what Jesus says. Verse 6. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. A mustard seed is considered to be one of the smallest seeds in the region. And so what Jesus is telling the apostles is he's saying, you're saying this teaching is hard to live out and you need more faith. Do you want me to increase your faith? But I'm, I'm telling you, you already have enough faith. If you have faith in me, then you have enough faith to allow you to be forgiven like me. That's what Jesus is telling them here. He's not denying the fact that it's hard. What he's saying is, is hey, listen, if you have faith in me, if you have faith in the gospel, if you believe in who I am and the forgiveness that I have come to give you, so you need to look back at the gospel is what he's saying. You need to look back at who I am and what I came to do. See, I'm God incarnate. Jesus is God incarnate. He's God in the flesh who came to die for our sins on the cross. We have sinned against God. We have sinned against Jesus. We've sinned against him repeatedly. And we've sinned against him completely to the point to where we don't deserve forgiveness. We've sinned against Jesus repeatedly and completely. But Jesus has forgiven us repeatedly and completely through dying for our sins on the cross. Jesus is saying that if you have faith in that, if you just even have a tiny mustard seed of faith in that, in the grace that I have came to give you, that I've come to give you, then that is enough faith to help turn you into a person who can be forgiving like I've been forgiven to, towards you. See, Jesus is telling them to look back at him, who he is and what he came to do so that their hearts can change, be healed and also be a heart that now is generous with forgiveness. City Awakening, the way to become rich in forgiveness is to be rich in your faith in Jesus, is to be rich in the faith and the mercy that he has poured out for you on the cross, is to look at him again. The way to be rich in forgiveness is to be poor in self-righteousness. The way to be generous with our forgiveness in relationships is to become very poor in our own self-righteousness. But we reverse that in our relationships, don't we? 
We tend to reverse that in a lot of our relationships. We tend to be a lot more you know, poor in forgiveness and, and rich in our own self-righteousness. You know, when somebody lies against us, we tend to have a double standard when, when, you know, when it comes to our own sinfulness, right? When somebody lies to us and we'll say, you know, I, I'm not going to trust that person ever again because they're a liar. But then when we lie against somebody, what, what do we do? We kind of make excuses for it, downplay it. You know, we try to convince people that we are trustworthy again, right? We're worthy to be trusted again, even though we just lied too. It's a double standard when we are going to villainize someone else for lying, but then we picture ourselves, we believe that we are trustworthy even though we have lied as well. We have a, a double standard when it comes to our own sinfulness and self-righteousness. We've got to be careful of that. The way for us to be rich in forgiveness is for us to be poor in our self-righteousness. The way for us to be rich in generosity when it comes to forgiveness in your relationship is for you to be poor in your own self-righteousness. Keep looking at the grace that Jesus has poured out for you on the cross. City Awakening, is it hard? Yeah, it is. Is this teaching difficult? Yeah, without a doubt it is. But if we have a tiny mustard seed of faith in the grace that Jesus has given us, that is enough faith, Jesus says, that is enough faith to turn our hearts and to being gracious when it comes to forgiveness towards others, just like he's been gracious to forgive us. The big idea of the message is that generosity includes hospitality and forgiveness in your relationships, and in my relationship too. Generosity far exceeds simply being generous with the use of our wealth. Okay, it also includes being generous with hospitality and forgiveness in our relationships. So how's your hospitality? Have you been generous with your hospitality? Have you been generous with your hospitality in your relationships and even in our city? You're going to get an opportunity to do that this week. Okay, you're gonna, every week we're actually going to give you an opportunity to practice generosity, to live out generosity based upon some of the things that we're teaching. And so this week, you're going to have an opportunity to live out generosity when it comes to hospitality in either your relationships or um, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, our city, okay? What we're going to do is we are going to give each household a $20 gift card, and it's up to your household to figure out how you want to use that gift card to extend generosity in our city. Now, I get it. Some of you are going to be like, oh, you know, I don't, you know, I'm not going to do that. I'll just use my own money, $20. No, no, this is, a, this is a community thing, a church-wide thing that we want to do. We as a church want to extend generosity out to the people in our city. So don't be so prideful and self-righteous that you can't take generosity back at you as a church for us to be able to take. You're not keeping it. Okay, you're not keeping it. We want you to give it. Because we want our church to, remember this series is called Outward. We want this to be an opportunity for our church to step outward and to spread generosity through hospitality in our city. At the end of the service, we'll give you some examples of that. I believe Zach's actually going to share with you a couple of examples to tell you how to get the gift cards and then he'll give you some examples on how to do that. But the question is, are you generous when it comes to your hospitality? Are you generous when it comes to your hospitality and your relationships? Are you willing to be generous when it comes to the hospitality towards people in our city? You will have an opportunity for that this week. You will also have an opportunity to be generous with your forgiveness. I guarantee you, 
that something's going to happen this week. Somebody's going to upset you. Somebody's going to wrong you. Somebody's going to hurt you and offend you. And you will have an opportunity to practice generosity in that moment. Some of you aren't even going to make it to the parking lot. Okay? We're going to have our kids or something. Kids are going to upset you. Siblings going to make you angry. Parents might upset you because they're not going to give you what you want. Some of you are just going to be flat out hangry because you're tired and you're ready to eat something, so you're going to be a little snippy, right? I guarantee you that today or sometime this week, somebody is going to upset you. They're going to hurt you or offend you. And that is going to be a moment for you to be generous when it comes to your forgiveness. We don't deserve forgiveness. Jesus freely gave it. Maybe the people don't deserve forgiveness from you, but it is generosity if you extend that forgiveness to them. So not if that happens, but when that happens, that is going to be a moment for you to remember to be rich in forgiveness and poor in self-righteousness. That is going to be your chance to remember the very grace that Jesus has extended to you, and you now have an opportunity to extend that forgiveness to others. Let's pray for that. Jesus, would you help us to grow in generosity as a church? Would you transform our hearts, even in our view of hospitality? That we wouldn't view hospitality even as just inviting somebody into our home for a dinner. But that we would view hospitality as anytime somebody enters into our living space, we want them to walk away refreshed and renewed. Jesus, would you help us with forgiveness? It's so hard, God, sometimes. The deeper the wound, the harder it seems to forgive. Jesus, I pray that you would help anybody who's having a hard time forgiving here or watching online. Help them to, to receive healing, maybe first and foremost, God. Heal their hearts, heal their wounds. Help them to not bury their wounds or just get over it like some people will say. But Jesus, help to walk through their wounds with them to give them healing so they can come to that place of forgiveness. Jesus, help us to be a church that is generous with hospitality, generous with forgiveness, just as you have been generous to us. We love you. We thank you for your great generosity. We thank you for your forgiveness. And it's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.